Dear listeners, are you tired of the endless cycle of fad diets and extreme measures? It's time to wake up to a better weight loss solution with Robody. As someone who's been through the ups and downs of weight loss, I know firsthand the challenge of trying to find what will stick. That's why if I qualified for Robody today, I jump at the chance for a scientifically backed program that supports long-term success. With Robody, you'll gain access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market, paired with personalized lifestyle changes. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Roe to help them lose weight. Say goodbye to the roller coaster of weight loss dreams and hello to sustainable, real results with Robody. Go to roco snoozecast. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash snoozecast. Netherfield, and looked in vain 
for Mr. Wickham among the cluster of red coats there assembled. A doubt of his being present had never occurred to her. The certainty of meeting him had not been checked by any of those recollections that might not unreasonably have alarmed her. She had dressed with more than usual care and prepared in the highest spirits for the conquest of all that remained unsubdued of his heart, trusting that it was not more than might be won in the course of an evening. But in an instant arose the dreadful suspicion of his being purposefully omitted for Mr. Darcy's pleasure in the Bingley's invitation to the officers. And though this was not exactly the case, the absolute fact of his absence was pronounced by his friend Denny, to whom Lydia eagerly applied, and who told them that Wickham had been obliged to go to town on business the day before, and was not yet returned, adding, with a significant smile, I do not imagine his business would have called him away just now if he had not wanted to avoid a certain gentleman here. This part of his intelligence, though unheard by Lydia, was caught by Elizabeth and, as it assured her that Darcy was not less answerable for Wickham's absence than if her first surmise had been met, every feeling of displeasure against the former was so sharpened by immediate disappointment that she could hardly reply with tolerable civility to the polite enquiries which he directly afterwards approached to make. Attendance, forbearance, patience with Darcy was injury to Wickham. She was resolved against any sort of conversation with him and turned away with a degree of ill humor which she could not wholly surmount even in speaking to Mr. Bingley whose blind partiality provoked her. But Elizabeth was not formed for ill humor, and though every prospect of her own was destroyed for the evening, it could not dwell long on her spirits. And, having told all her griefs to Charlotte Lucas, whom she had not seen for a week, she was soon able to make a voluntary transition to the oddities of her cousin and to point him out to her particular notice. The first two dances, however, brought a return of distress. They were dances of mortification. Mr. Collins 
awkward and solemn, apologizing instead of attending, and often moving wrong without being aware of it, gave her all the shame and misery which a disagreeable partner for a couple of dances can give. The moment of her release from him was ecstasy. She danced next with an officer and had the refreshment of talking of Wickham and of hearing that he was universally liked. When those dances were over, she returned to Charlotte Lucas and was in conversation with her when she found herself suddenly addressed by Mr. Darcy, who took her so much by surprise in his application for her hand that, without knowing what she did, she accepted him. He walked away again immediately, and she was left to fret over her own want of presence of mind. Charlotte tried to console her. I dare say you will find him very agreeable. Heaven forbid. That would be the greatest misfortune of all. To find a man agreeable whom one is determined to hate. Do not wish such an evil on me. When the dancing recommenced, however, and Darcy approached to claim her hand, Charlotte could not help cautioning her in a whisper not to be a simpleton and allow her fancy for Wickham to make her appear unpleasant in the eyes of a man ten times his consequence. Elizabeth made no answer and took her place in the set, amazed at the dignity to which she was arrived in being allowed to stand opposite to Mr. Darcy and reading in her neighbor's looks their equal amazement in beholding it. They stood for some time without speaking a word, and she began to imagine that their silence was to last through the two dances, and at first she was resolved not to break it, till suddenly, fancying that it would be the greater punishment to her partner to oblige him to talk, she made some slight observation on the dance. He replied and was again silent. After a pause of some minutes, she addressed him a second time with, It is your turn to say something now, Mr. Darcy. I talked about the dance, and you ought to make some sort of remark 
on the size of the room or the number of couples. He smiled and assured her that whatever she wished him to say should be said. Very well, that reply will do for the present. Perhaps by and by I may observe that private balls are much pleasanter than public ones. But now we may be silent. Do you talk by rule then, while you are dancing? Sometimes. We must speak a little, you know. It would look odd to be entirely silent for half an hour together. And yet, for the advantage of some, conversation ought to be arranged. As that they may have the trouble of saying as little as possible. Are you consulting your own feelings in the present case? Or do you imagine that you're gratifying mine? Both, replied Elizabeth archly. For I have always seen a great similarity in the turn of our minds. We are each of an unsocial, taciturn disposition, unwilling to speak unless we expect to say something that will amaze the whole room and be handed down to posterity with all the eclat of a proverb. This is no very striking resemblance of your own character, I am sure said he. How near it is to mine, I cannot pretend to say. You think it a faithful portrait, undoubtedly. I must not decide on my own performance. He made no answer, and they were again silent till they had gone down the dance. When he asked her if she and her sisters did not very often walk to Meryton, she answered in the affirmative and, unable to resist the temptation, added, When you met us there the other day, we had just been forming a new acquaintance. The effect was immediate. A deeper shade of hauteur spread over his features. But he said not a word. And Elizabeth, though blaming herself for her own weakness, could not go on. At length, Darcy spoke and in a constrained manner said, Mr. Wickham is blessed with such happy manners as may ensure his making friends, whether he may be equally capable of retaining them is less certain. He has been so unlucky as to lose your friendship, replied Elizabeth with emphasis.
and in a manner which he is likely to suffer from all his life. Darcy made no answer and seemed desirous of changing the subject. At that moment, Sir William Lucas appeared close to them, meaning to pass through the set to the other side of the room. But, on perceiving Mr. Darcy, he stopped with a bow of superior courtesy to compliment him on his dancing and his partner. I have been most highly gratified indeed, my dear sir. Such very superior dancing is not often seen. It is evident that you belong to the first circles. Allow me to say, however, that your fair partner does not disgrace you, and that I must hope to have this pleasure often repeated, especially when a certain desirable event, my dear Eliza, glancing at her sister and Bingley, shall take place. What congratulations will flow in then? I appeal to Mr. Darcy. But let me not interrupt you, sir. You will not thank me for detaining you from the bewitching converse of that young lady whose bright eyes are also upbraiding me. The latter part of this address was scarcely heard by Darcy, but Sir William's allusion to his friend seemed to strike him forcibly, and his eyes were directed with a very serious expression towards Bingley and Jane, who were dancing together. Recovering himself, however, shortly, he turned to his partner and said, Sir William's interruption has made me forget what we were talking of. I do not think we were speaking at all. Sir William could not have interrupted two people in the room who had less to say for themselves. We have tried two or three subjects already without success, and what we are to talk of next, I cannot imagine. What think you of books? said he, smiling. Books? Oh, no. I'm sure we never read the same, or not with the same feelings. I'm sorry you think so, but if that be the case, there can at least be no want of subject. We can compare our different opinions. No, I cannot talk of books in a ballroom. My head is always full of something else. The present always occupies you in such scenes, does it? Said he, with a look of doubt. Yes, always, she replied, 
without knowing what she said, for her thoughts had wandered far from the subject, as soon afterwards appeared by her suddenly exclaiming, I remember hearing you once say, Mr. Darcy, that you hardly ever forgave, that your resentment once created was unappeasable. You are very cautious, I suppose, as to its being created. I am, said he, with a firm voice. And never allow yourself to be blinded by prejudice. I hope not. It is particularly incumbent on those who never change their opinion to be secure of judging properly at first. May I ask to what these questions tend? Merely to the illustration of your character, said she, endeavoring to shake off her gravity. I'm trying to make it out. And what is your success? She shook her head. I do not get on at all. I hear such different accounts of you as puzzle me exceedingly. I can readily believe, answered he gravely, that reports may vary greatly with respect to me. And I could wish, Miss Bennet, that you were not to sketch my character at the present moment, as there is reason to fear that the performance would reflect no credit on either. But if I do not take your likeness now, I may never have another opportunity. I would by no means suspend any pleasure of yours, he coldly replied. She said no more, and they were down the other dance and parted in silence. And on each side, dissatisfied, though not to an equal degree, for in Darcy's breast there was a tolerably powerful feeling towards her which soon procured her pardon and directed all his anger against another. They had not long separated when Miss Bingley came towards her and with an expression of civil disdain accosted her. So, Miss Eliza, I hear you are quite delighted with George Wickham. Your sister has been talking to me about him and asking me a thousand questions, and I find that the young man quite forgot to tell you, among his other communication, 
that he was the son of old Wickham, the late Mr. Darcy's steward. Let me recommend you, however, as a friend, not to give implicit confidence to all his assertions, for, as to Mr. Darcy's using him ill, it is perfectly false, for, on the contrary, he has always been remarkably kind to him, though George Wickham has treated Mr. Darcy in a most infamous manner. I do not know the particulars, but I know very well that Mr. Darcy is not in the least to blame, that he cannot bear to hear George Wickham mentioned, and that though my brother thought that he could not well avoid including him in his invitation to the officers, he was excessively glad to find that he had taken himself out of the way. His coming into the country at all is a most insolent thing, indeed, and I wonder how he could presume to do it. I pity you, Miss Eliza, for this discovery of your favorite's guilt, but really, Considering his descent, one could not expect much better. His guilt and his descent appear by your account to be the same, said Elizabeth angrily. For I have heard you accuse him of nothing worse than of being the son of Mr. Darcy Stewart, and of that... I can assure you, he informed me himself. I beg your pardon, replied Miss Bingley, turning away with a sneer. Excuse my interference, it was kindly meant. Insolent girl, said Elizabeth to herself. You are much mistaken if you expect to influence me by such a paltry attack as this. I see nothing in it but your own willful ignorance and the malice of Mr. Darcy. She then sought her eldest sister, who had undertaken to make enquiries on the same subject of Bingley. Jane met her with a smile of such sweet complacency, a glow of such happy expression as sufficiently marked how well she was satisfied with the occurrences of the evening. Elizabeth instantly read her feelings, and at that moment, Solicitude for Wickham, resentment against his enemies, and everything else gave way before the hope of Jane's being in the fairest way for happiness. I want to know, 
said she, with a countenance no less smiling than her sister's, what you have learned about Mr. Wickham. But perhaps you have been too pleasantly engaged to think of any third person, in which case you may be sure of my pardon. No, replied Jane, I have not forgotten him, but I have nothing satisfactory to tell you. Mr. Bingley does not know the whole of his history and is quite ignorant of the circumstances which have principally offended Mr. Darcy, but he will vouch for the good conduct and honor of his friend and is perfectly convinced that Mr. Wickham has deserved much less attention from Mr. Darcy than he has received. And I am sorry to say by his account, as well as his sister's, Mr. Wickham is by no means a respectable young man. I am afraid he has been very imprudent and has deserved to lose Mr. Darcy's regard. Mr. Bingley does not know Mr. Wickham himself? No. He never saw him till the other morning at Meryton. This account, then, is what he has received from Mr. Darcy. I am satisfied. But what does he say of the living? He does not exactly recollect the circumstances, though he has heard them from Mr. Darcy more than once. But he believes that it was left to him conditionally only. I have not a doubt of Mr. Bingley's sincerity, said Elizabeth warmly. But you must excuse my not being convinced by assurances only. Mr. Bingley's defense of his friend was a very able one, I dare say. But since he is unacquainted with several parts of the story, and has learnt the rest from that friend himself. I shall venture to still think of both gentlemen as I did before. She then changed the discourse to one more gratifying to each, and on which there could be no difference of sentiment. Elizabeth listened with delight to the happy, though modest hopes which Jane entertained of Mr. Bingley's regard and said all in her power to hide it.